there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people. And we recently lost one of my favorite creative people, the actor Leslie Jordan, who we loved from Will and Grace. He played Beverly Leslie. He was Brother Boy in Sorted Lives. He was also in Southern Baptist Sissy. So many great projects. The Help. The list goes on and on. Um, I got to interview him for my podcast in 2014. My podcast was really new, and he was doing a show at the Gay and Lesbian Center, a one-man show called Fruit Fly, and so I got to interview him. I went to his place, and we did the interview, and as I went back and listened to this, I was really struck at how delighted I seemed to be there talking to him. You could just tell I was in heaven because he was fun and thoughtful and funny and had stories for everything. And you could just tell that I could have, I could have stayed there all day. And you could just hear the joy that Leslie brings to people in this interview. You can hear it in the way I am. I'm just so happy to be there and to be able to ask him a question and he'll have an amazing story. So I thought it would be a nice tribute to play this episode again and just spend a little more time with this remarkable, funny, fabulous, gay, wonderful man. So this is a Leslie Jordan interview from 2014, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey there, guess where I am in the L.A. apartment of Leslie Jordan, Emmy winner from Will and Grace. You also know him from Sorted Lives. I feel like I won the golden ticket. like Because you say that not a lot of people have have been here, that you kind of like to, uh, you called yourself a... Gregarious recluse. Right on. So your place is very charming. Thank you. And we're sitting under an amazing painting of you that's black and white. Where did that come from? What's the story of that? I saw it on Facebook. It's an artist named Don Tarr, T-A-R-R, Don. And I saw it on Facebook. Where she, and I contacted her and I said, I would love, you know, to either have you commission something... Well, it came in the mail, and I've tried to, you know, tell her, let me pay. No, no, no. She was just a fan. Now, the reason that I like this picture, my mother has told me from the time I was a little boy, when you smile, don't open your mouth. Because I, <laughs> I just have the, ah, like, right. uh, like, you know. And when I saw that, I thought, she's really captured it with my big mouth open. So, uh I want to get it framed. It's wonderful. Yeah. So imagine you're an artist and you paint somebody that you admire and then they reach out to you and say, I love it. That must have felt great for her. It did. And I got also, when I did post it on Facebook, I got, she's from the East Coast. I wish I knew where I want to say Baltimore, somewhere. But I got a flood of Facebook responses of people that knew her and sing her praises and said, oh, you made her day and la, la, la. So, um, do you think she pulled that from a photo of you somewhere or from so. a still from a show? Or what so. do you like think? I said, there's a million pictures of me with that exact expression. <laughs> the minute you put a camera toward me, I do that. <laughs> um, so you mentioned your mother, um, you are doing a show that's inspired by her called fruit fly at the Renberg theater here in Los Angeles at the gay and lesbian center. It's something I've done, um, over the years, around Christmas time, the Renberg always has some space for me. To to tell you the truth, it's really hard to do LA. Why? It's not a part of what LA people do. I can go to law. I can go to Atlanta. I can go to Dallas. We put a couple of ads in the gay rags. I can sell out a twelve hundred seat auditorium. Yeah. Here. It's 77 people I beg to come. That's people, so crazy. It, you know, it's, um, and I'm, I'm working much harder on it this year. I've always, in the past, I've had very good audiences, but I would go into the uh, the, the center. There's my clock. I would go into the, uh, the villages and talk to them. I'd say, listen, I don't see posters around. You know, in my day, we would plaster, you'd start WeHo and plaster, you know, everything from the gay bars to anything you could find. And they just kind of smiled at me and they said, oh, honey, we haven't done that in years. It's all through the Internet. It's all, you know, we have a we have a huge uh, subscription base. Right. And so 
This year, though, because so many people would complain to me, I'd say, why don't you ever do L.A.? I'd go, I do. And they go, I've never seen an ad. I'm, well, they don't have to. So this year, I'm doing things like this, talking with you. We're going to get the word out. We're going to pack the word out, out um, so that we can uh, uh, get really full houses. Yeah. Because uh, that's my favorite venue. It's just uh, state-of-the-art, beautiful theater. Yeah. I, I do the mismatch game there. So it's, I have, uh, I have a, like a, my heart's there. And that whole, yeah. I love the courtyard. I love Everything the whole vibe. Yeah. Um, so the title Fruit Fly, where does it come from? Well, I can't give it away because it's the last line in the show. Okay. But I will say this. My mother was the baby of seven children. My daddy was the baby in his family. So when the two babies had me, I was their firstborn. I was photographed relentlessly. <laughs> I had five, six, seven aunts older than my mother who just flooded me with little outfits. And in every picture, I'm in posing in some little outfit. My mother showed me those a few years ago, things I had never seen, slides. And I sat there and I got almost teary-eyed because the slides to me were a story of a gay boy and his mother all the way through to when I took her to Alaska on a gay cruise. Oh my gosh. And, um, something very cathartic happened on the cruise. Yes. I don't want to go into it cause that's the show. Wow. The way it ended. Um, very cathartic in her, you know, my mother is, will never be a Betty DeGeneres. My mother will never march in a parade with a sign. Is she still with us? Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, is she ever. <laughs> she will She's... never, she will never be, you know, in P flag. My mother is very, very, um, private. Right. Um, I loved, I read a quote not too long ago from, uh, uh, John, um, uh, uh, Pink Flamingos. John Waters. John Waters, uh, where he said when he was a kid, his mother would say to him constantly, quit making a spectacle of yourself. And he said something, I've made a career out of it. Exactly. Thought, That's me. My right. mother would quit, Leslie. I was always making a spectacle right. of myself. I've made this huge career of it, and it's horrified my mother a little bit because so much of my work is about the family and uh, she even said one time, she said, Leslie Allen, if I live to be 105, I will never understand this deep-seated need you have to air your dirty laundry. <laughs> Why can't you just whisper it to a therapist? Now, has she seen the show? No. Would she? She, I don't, you know, she saw hysterical blindness back in the 90s. And after that, I knew that what I write is not up her alley. Right. Um, my sister's come. Right. But this one is so personal. It also deals with the death of my dad, who was yeah. killed in a plane crash when I was 11. And I don't want her to go through all that, even yeah. though it's a lovely test. It's a valentine to her. To her. And it's an open love letter to anybody who ever, anybody who has a mom, which yeah. is everybody. That's what I found out about the show I did on the West End of London. Oh, wow. I've done this show off Broadway. I opened the, uh, they have a wonderful one-person play festival in New York called, instead of One for All, it's All for One or something. And it's about one-person plays. It's down at the Cherry Lane, which is a wonderful old off-Broadway house. And we opened that with this show. We did the Celebration Theater here for years. Right. I'm so proud of this show. Um, but it's, 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 uh, a dog and pony show. I have slides. I tell stories. My mother's so prominent in all of it. That's amazing. Um, she was really, really pretty. She still is. She's beautiful at 80. But my mother was so beautiful when I was a kid, I thought she was a fairy princess. <laughs> when did you find out the truth? And was it a big blow? <laughs> no, because she still is kind of a fairy princess. My mother's the baby, like I said, of seven. She's spoiled. But she, um, she's an amazing human being. And I think, as I say in the show, the day that I realized if I'm going to ask her, accept me exactly as I am, please. Yeah. Why can I not offer that to her? Right. I have to accept her. Right. She's of another generation. She's very religious, very devout in her faith. She, as my, I love what my spiritual advisor um, in my recovery program said when I would tell him all this. He said, honey, she's doing the best she can with the light she has to see with. Oh, that's and a I great thought, metaphor. Wow. Yeah. And she does. And um, 
we can talk about this a little bit. I've got a boyfriend. I don't want to talk about it too much because he's, uh, he's, he lives a very quiet, um, almost closet life. But anyway, when I wanted to take him home, I didn't know how because he's my first boyfriend. I'm 60. I've had old rough straight boys that mother just thought were my assistants or whatever right. over the years. But I was whispering to my twin sister on the phone. I said, I'm going to be Atlanta, and I want to bring him up. But what? And she said, is he your boyfriend? I said, yeah, but wait. She said, Mama, this is a boyfriend. And I heard my mother go, well, it's about time. <laughs> the cat was out of the bag. And did you take him, and how did he go? Um, it, it, something. Uh, we had a huge family emergency, and I finally just said to Mother, I don't want to bring him into this. Yeah. My family's very volatile and drama. It's all big. It's something I don't even want to go into. It's something happened, and a Mother said, another time. Another time. <laughs> you talked about your mother not seeing this show, but is, it the, is there some piece of work of yours that she loves? Like, for example, I've done... Um, written books and stuff with gay themes, but my favorite thing that, that my mother, who's now passed, that I ever did was a cruise ship show called In the Mood that was all 40s. Like, that's the thing. That was her shining moment. And was there, is there something of yours that your mother's like, that's my thing? She always says to me, um, she doesn't, my dad was a lieutenant colonel in the Army. He was a very masculine man. And apparently, I am, even though he died when I was 11, I can go home and somebody will stop me in a mall and say, you have got to be Alan Jordan's boy. So there's something about him that I remind her of. She doesn't like it when I act squishy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honey. Yes. But when I, she thinks I put it on and I do for parts. Right. I mean, I'm not exactly the most masculine guy in yeah. the world, but I'm not. You're not Beverly Leslie 24-7. I'm not Beverly Leslie. And so when she sees things like that, she did see Sorted Lives. Yeah. And the only comment she made was, well, it was different. (laughs) It was different. (laughs) What about the help? Did she see the help? She loved the help. See, that's the thing. Like that? See, things like that that she can call her friends and say, Leslie's in this and you've got to see this. Oscar movie. Yeah. Uh, The help. Um, she loved years ago, I was on, uh, a series with John Ritter many years ago. It ran for three years. It was called Hearts of Fire. Yes, of course. And she loved that because yeah. they wouldn't let me carry on or anything. <laughs> they nipped that in the bud. Um, so you've been doing the show for a while. Is there a part of it that always sneaks up on you and moves you no matter how well, many times you've done it? The death of my dad. Cause, cause it was so beautifully staged by David Gallagher. And when I, when David brought it up, I said, absolutely not. You mean talking about it or the way it was talking staged? Talking about it or anything. You're just he not, not going to be in the show? No. I don't want to go through that every night. And David said, but Leslie, it is such a part of this journey here. Yeah. And I said, well, all right. And then the way he staged it, why do you see it? There's this huge photograph of my dad. And I'm trying to describe how difficult it was because I didn't understand what a military funeral was. I, I, and the guns are going off. And you were 11, you said? I was 11. Yeah. But the guns, no one explained to me the guns. Oh, my God. And it scared me. Of course. And so David has it staged with taps playing. He found a true military funeral. You hear it. The guns go off. And <laughs> every night it gets me. You yeah. know, because it was so traumatic. And and I, there's a part in the play where I say to the audience, please never go to a funeral and tell somebody you're the little man of the house now. I mean, if I heard that once, oh. you know, you've got to take care of your mother and your oh. sister. And it was just, it's just lip service is yeah. all it is. But it terrified me. For I remember. To say to me, you're the little man of the house. Yeah. I'm 11. <laughs> I was at my father's funeral and the, this sort of busybody of our town came up to me and we were in the wake. The casket was literally there. She said, you're losing your hair. That's what she said. And I thought, well, maybe it's in the casket. Maybe we can look in the casket. Don't um, you love people? Like church ladies. <laughs> church ladies. And they're kind of the worst. Um, is there a moment where no matter how it's going, you know you got the big laugh coming? Oh, yes. That it's like, okay, this will, yes. yeah, that woman's restless over here. This will get her, whatever. Because it is so shocking. <laughs> <laughs> 
it deals with, I didn't grow from third to sixth grade, not at all. And people got worried and a mother took me to the doctor and they in the fifties had very radical growth hormones that they would put children on, but it wasn't really tested. I don't know what the problem was, but the, the laugh is I turn to the audience and I say, and I, I'll, I'll give it away here because it's so Because there's a million more in the show, so. But I say, here's what happened. I took those growth pills. I grew, I mean, shots. And I grew maybe a half an inch, but I was, the, the most radical one, the one I took was supposed to stimulate the pituitary gland. Right. And speed things up. Well, I'm 11 with an enormous bush. I mean, enormous. Oh, my God. It was, well, every time I say that, people go, what did he just say? Because it just comes out of nowhere. Well, also, when you gesture down, I thought you were going to say belly, like it made you gain weight. And I say enormous bush, and I say... And you hadn't had puberty. You hadn't, like... No, I was horrified. I was mortified. but But yet, I think as a gay man, a gay boy... I was strangely titillated by it. Yeah. It, it was like it didn't belong to me, but I love to look at it. <laughs> and mirrors at it and comb it. That's so crazy. And shampoo it. But that, um, but then it gets kind of serious because I say, I also begin to act out. Yeah. It's actually very, very young, and I'm convinced. You can't stimulate a child's pituitary no. gland. Yeah, he's going to have you hormonal know. needs exactly. going on. Exactly, and yeah. I had no idea, and I yeah. was the little, you know, I was a slut. You were horny. You had needs. I was in the choir, a touring boys choir, and I was the choir slut. Wow. <laughs> how old were you? Well, 12, 13? Well, I didn't realize how old I was till I till I realized when I really started acting out, we went to Expo 67 in Montreal, Canada. If I was born, Oh, the French Canadians. If I was born in 55, I was 12. Wow. And honey, full on with anybody I could find. You were like Aerosmith on the road. Wow. That's, that's so wild. And you know, I've paid like years, years from later, you're in therapy and you're telling about this. And, and true therapists looked at me and said, well, you know, you, honey, you were, you were a victim of, of sexual abuse, and you have a lot of the earmarks of that in that, like, 40, 60 years old and hadn't had a boyfriend because right. I, I can have sex with you, but I don't, that gushy stuff. The intimacy stuff. See, I was 27 years old before I ever had sex in a bed. That's my generation. Wow. Hundreds of partners. Yeah. But, you know, everything from the J.C. Penney's restroom to the bushes at, did you ever get caught somewhere? Never. Wow. I was, I don't know. I've looked back and thought, my God, how did I never, ever get caught? But you, you begin to look at that and you think, because the therapist would say to me, honey, you were 12. What did you know? You knew it felt good, but what did yeah. you know? Right. And when I look back on that, I think, you know what? And I've read books on, 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 uh, uh, sexual abuse. And stuff, of course. And I thought, Wow, I'm textbook in yeah. a lot of ways. And there's no one you can talk to. And, and then I had one therapist that said, do you have a picture of you at 12? And I brought it in, and we looked at it, and I saw. Of course. When I thought of that little 12-year-old boy just cruising. <laughs> Honey, cruising. He had it down. Cruising. Oh, my gosh. Was there anyone that you would go back to again and again? Oh, like yeah. a fuck buddy? Yeah. Yeah. Little yeah. boys are now married with children. And yeah. Seeing them around town, and it's a little horrifying. Because, I mean, I would say, let's push our beds together. Yeah. <laughs> on, the t- on the bus. You were a seductor. I was the seductor. I was the choir slut. That gets a big laugh. Too. Yeah. Wow. I have pictures of me. In that, with that choir. Wow. I said, honey, I, I was, did have those boys in that choir that people are just shocked yeah. at that. But you know what I find? If you're willing, it's like they teach you in recovery. First of all, you're only sick as your secrets. And when you stand on stage and voice something that personal, people are shocked when you would not believe the people that wait afterwards. They say, you of know, course. You know what, honey? I. I was like that, too. I've never heard anybody say that. You know, I was 11 years old. I was messing around with everybody in the neighborhood and blah, blah, blah. And it, there's something about that. I mean, there's times when I go home after, and I think, you know what? Since 1992, 20-something, I have regurgitated my life. For what? Is it that interesting? And then I get these letters, and I think it's just some sort of gift I have. 
it lets people off the hook of whatever their thing is. Maybe it's like that or maybe it's something else, but it's like, okay, if he, he went through something like that, my secret might not be that bad or maybe it empowers them to open up. Exactly. Was there any specific letter or, or person talking to you that you remember when you think about oh, that honey, stuff? I've had, I wish I'd kept, I used to not, I, it, it would embarrass me. It's the weirdest thing. I'd get things and I'd read and I'd get, and I, I wished I'd kept everything from when I did um, my trip down the pink carpet in New York. I, 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 I tell a doll story that my Lieutenant Colonel Daddy when I was three years old, bought me a doll and this whole thing about he it. He got it. And people would bring me dolls. Oh, my goodness. I had a whole... People, one guy brought me said, this is... An, I collect antique dolls. And this is a doll from... If you were born in 55, which I looked up, if you were three, it would have been 58. And this is a doll from that. And, I mean, what... And, and you know what I would do? Like, at the end of the run, I would give it to... Everybody that um, worked there. Right. I'd say, I don't like to keep this stuff. Yeah. And I, I thought it was just me, but I remember years ago, my manager handled Linda Hamilton. Sure. Terminator. But before that, she had that TV show that was very bizarre, Beauty and the Beast. Okay, yeah, with Ron Perlman. With Ron Perlman. And she was pregnant with her first kid, and her fans... I, my, my manager had a room with the most beautiful things her fans had made her. Um, you know, baby blankets. She didn't want any of it. And I thought, that's terrible. Why would she not want... But I don't know what it is. It's something about... I think her thing was she wasn't prepared for any kind of stardom. And she had stalkers way because the show was so bizarre. Right. And pulled, you know, it's like American Horror Story right. freak stuff. Yeah. It pulls the weirdest of the weird. <laughs> exactly, right. You know, and I remember once we were at dinner and my manager, we were at lunch at that restaurant where um, uh, O.J. Simpson's wife ate. Oh, shit. Really? The, with Ron Goldman. Petaluma or something. Yeah. The name of Casaluma. Something. We were eating there and all of a sudden my manager jumped up and yelled across the street, enough and there was this um, black lesbian who had followed Linda. She wouldn't bother. You were with her. Linda at the time? Yeah, Linda was with us. And um, Linda would just get so creeped out um, by it. It was really frightening to her. I can imagine. Then she married James Camp. Yeah, I think they were together. I could, I could be wrong about, but I think they were. Now, speaking of our, things that you keep or don't keep, your Emmy is behind you, and I remember meeting you at an event, and you had your Emmy, and it was broken. It's and I have a picture of me and, and my then boyfriend and a few other friends. There it is. The ball is separate from the Emmy. So, but I don't remember the story. Linda Bloodworth Thomason, after I won the Emmy. Asked me would I come to Poplar Bluff, Missouri with my Emmy and do a show uh, to raise money. And you had to have the Emmy. And I said, I don't know, Linda. And then I heard, I don't know if you know this, Linda Bloodworth Thomason's mother died of AIDS. I didn't know that. Her name was Claudia, but it was during the days when no one quite knew what to do. Right. It's mirroring this Ebola thing. Right. Everyone was they, freaked out. They would come into her room in the, the Ebola outfits, um, and Linda, it, there was some, not mistreatment, but Linda started the Claudia Foundation. Now, it's since morphed into where they send young girls to college in that area, underprivileged girls. It started, I think, as an AIDS thing, but they moved up. But anyway, Linda said, please come, and how can you turn down that? Yeah. So... You could either get your picture with me and my Emmy or Alice Ghostly, <laughs> who played Aunt Bernice. Of course. And her Christmas tree cover. Wow. Gosh, how do you choose? <laughs> but I got on a plane and they wouldn't let me because of this. You could stab somebody. Oh, because the, the wings, wings are so pointy, you couldn't carry it, just carry it on. Uh-uh. <laughs> but what if you're a passenger on that flight and you just walk in with it? That's really That's funny. That's what I did. I had it in a bag, a sack, and they said, you have to check it. Well, I checked her, and we, the plane hit a snowstorm. I went to... Memphis, and my Emmy went to St. Louis. Oh, no. And I lost my luggage. 
There were weeks, weeks. I would drive down to LAX packing in tears, and I, uh, there was this evil little queen. <laughs> I just detested. I would say, listen. You'd always go to the same guy. Yes, and I would say, I hate to keep bothering you, but I'm just going to tell you the truth. My Emmy, and he was this little Hispanic. He said, I don't know what that is. And I said, well, it's <clears throat> a statue, you know, that you win. <laughs> and it's something I'm, well, dear, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I started shouting. I don't know. I don't know. You have to feel it before me. And, oh. and when we finally got her back, the ball was broken. Uh. So my mother, my sweet mother, I said, Mama, you know, Billy found out, my manager, that there's actually an Emmy hospital. There's an Emmy hospital? <laughs> where you can take your Emmy. They will not fix it. This I've taken it to several trophy shops. They said, no, it's not. You, there's nothing. You can't. I said, can't you solder it? Yeah, I what? Just, you can't do they anything? Said, no, you can't. There's just a reason. You can't wow. It. And it has nothing to do with it being an Emmy. So I said, can't we solder it? And, and I said to Mama, she said, well, honey, get you some Gorilla Glue. I said, what is Gorilla Glue? <laughs> so, look, now she's beyond repair. Oh, but, but see, if you take it to the Emmy Hospital, you give them this. They won't, you have to, they don't, don't want ones floating around. So you give them this, and they give you a brand new one, and it's 200 bucks. But I thought, this is the one that I walked on. This is the one I got. Yeah. So, he used to put mess with her. One time she had chicken McNuggets with wings. He was always mistreating her. Oh, my gosh. He is a former roommate of yours. Yes. He would give her chicken McNuggets? But he would put chicken McNuggets on her wings. <laughs> I'd come in and there'd be an enormous dildo on her. She's been mistreated. Well. And I did have an idea. I don't know if I could get away with it. I was going to, when Twitter started, I thought, wouldn't it be fun to, tw- no, Instagram or something. Yeah. A picture every day of in abused. <laughs> <laughs> they would come after me. They, they probably would. But, uh, yeah. That, that story you told about your lost Emmy, that sounds like a short film you could make. And, uh, you know, you can go down there every day. Um, sometimes when people win a big award, a lot of times you hear stories about, well, this was going on in my personal life, so it looked wonderful, but I was, you know, what was that moment like for you? Was it really the culmination and the moment that you always wanted to be? It was the highest moment of my life, and it was the lowest. See, there's always that story. Well, it has nothing to do with this. You would think that as gregarious, like I said, and outgoing as I am, I'm walking, I'm standing on that red carpet, and I'm, I've had to do number two yeah. three times. My stomach was so in upheaval. We had to pull into the Chevron off the 101 in from a limousine. And I'm in braces, bumps. Yes. You have no idea. At any moment, I kept leaning over to Billy. I said, it's going to be a deluge at any moment. <laughs> and Billy said, Leslie, you've got to. Now, they have all these rules that you can't. When you get up, someone takes your seat. Yeah, there's a seat filler. So the seat filler was up. I was up. I was down. He said, you're going to end up like Christine Lottie. Apparently, she was in the yeah, bathroom. Yeah, she was in the bathroom, of course. Because they don't let you know the order. I think they think people will leave after their Emmy. Yeah. So that you don't know the order. Oh. They will literally come up and say, almost ready for you. And they'll take you. And it was a panic attack waiting to happen. Oh, my gosh. And if I never have to do it again, I'll be perfectly happy. I did it once. I mean, you know, you think, well, and then I see people like, I'm amazed at Deborah Messing because there's people, she, of course, she's a girl. She loves dressing up. But I see her at events where she didn't have to be there. I can't yeah. imagine having, and, and that's part of my stand-up is I say, when you see those beautiful people on that red carpet, they got shit really bad, <laughs> really bad. It's, you have no idea how nervous and scared. You don't think in those terms. Yeah. You just see people looking like they're having a good time. And right. That's when the camera's on them. Yeah, they're good actors. But when did was, you get relief? After you won? I won, and then we were going. My mother wanted, my sisters wanted to do all the parties. Of course. And I sat them down. I said, listen, I can't. 
I've got to go. I go, well, not even the governor's ball or whatever it is, not where you yeah, go eat. Right. I said, I can't. I said, if you want me to, I will walk you in and get you situated. And they go, well, it will be. No. So I called him. He was with us. And he met us, my, my old pretend husband, straight <laughs> boy, Brandon. He met us at, um, oh, it was the place on 3rd that was where everybody would go. And I suffered through that with the Emmy on the table. And then he wanted to go uh, to the parties. Right. And my sister said, well, you know, we're we're, we're just going to go on home. They were kind of upset with me. Well, he made me go to the t- TV Guide party. And there was an unknown singer that got up. There were only about 45 of us there. It was early. Pink. I never heard oh, of wow. Her. She got him singing this song. I remember I just loved it. It said, my socks don't match. And people compare me to Britney Spears. Yeah. Which was her first big her first hit. First big hit, yeah. And I thought, oh, that's refreshing. I love this girl. <laughs> I was this far from her. And for a few minutes, you forgot about how bad you had to go to the bathroom? Yes. And so. <laughs> Thank you, Pink. I left him there. Yeah. I finally said to him, look, you can from here with your badge probably go to this one and this one and this one. I'm I'm gone. His brother's a popular, uh, oh, I shouldn't say that. He gets mad. His brother is a, a real photographer that right. is hired. Okay. He doesn't I got chase you. him. He's hired to be there. Right. And he, I got him a band and they took off and I went home and I just came in and I thought, all my life I wanted to be there on that red carpet. And it was just a fiasco. It was a shitstorm, literally. Literally. Wow. When did it? What did it mean to you when you were out of the situation and you had it, and that happened? Well, was I there called, a moment where you no, went, where you felt great about it? I called my manager and I said, "He said, do you know that for the rest of your life you'll always be Emmy Award-winning actor?" And I'm yeah. Like, wow. And I said, "You know what, Billy? We've been at this for 30, 20 some odd years." I'm going to sit back and wait for it to come to me now. And then about two months, okay. <laughs> we're, we're waiting. Nothing. Nothing. But you know how they say one door opens, one closes? Yeah. Nothing. And yeah. I called Billy and I said, to, I said, I can't eat this Emmy. Yeah. What a quandary. <laughs> yeah. To be an Emmy Award winning actor, but you're not getting anything, any yeah. offers. And that's when I hit the road. And now... I'm not dependent upon any casting director. Yeah. I don't have to sit by the phone. I do 44 venues that I created. I hired a marketing firm. I said, put me in gay bars, gay parades. I'm, I'm now, I'm with, uh, I have an exclusive with Reaction Marketing out in Palm Springs. Right, I know. And now. they book me. I mean, the phone rings every day. That's fantastic. They just called today and said, Calgary, but it's at Christmas. I said, oh, my God, I'd love to do Calvary at Christmas. Yeah. Calvary, um, Canada. Is that it? Cal- Calgary. Calgary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Calvary's the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Calgary, Canada at Christmas. Right. I said, that would be fabulous. Yeah. Phone rang a few minutes ago, and they said, well, listen, you're going home for Thanksgiving, and I know you booked your flight, but how about the Little Rock Democrats? I said, are there live ones? <laughs> 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 they haven't all been quashed. There's probably three of them. There's as many as there are at the but TV Guy party. Top dollar. Yeah. Clinton Library, trot me out, la, la, la. And all I have to do is give up three days of my uh, Christmas trip home, which I was going to go for 10 days. So, you know, it's just constant. Do you I'm like cool. the traveling? Do you wish you were doing a little less or it's about I the right amount? The, and... No, the travel is the hardest part because, once yeah. again, I... Years ago, I don't talk a lot about it, but I had a panic attack. I had gone from, and you can't get any sympathy, but I had gone from Benidorm, Spain, where I had done a, a TV show for England that's done run, run here. From Spain, no, 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 a cruise from Barcelona where I took my mother, and it was a nightmare, <laughs> Barcelona, Casablanca. I had flown, and for some reason, they'd flown me from Valencia to New York to here. I had to drive straight up to um, the uh, uh, 
San Luis Obispo gay pride, right. which I loved. Right. It was so tiny. On Oprah, they said that's the happiest city in the country. San Luis Obispo? Yes. She lives up that way. Yeah. Well, I loved it. We yeah. had a pride. But anyway, I got up after all that, after weeks of that travel and San Luis Pride and la, la, la. And um, I thought I was having a heart attack. Mm. And I went to, uh, over to the Screen Actors Bill Clinic. I learned the new triage is the word. Right. If you can't get in somewhere, say my heart's hurt. Yeah. Bam, you're in the you're door. You're in the door. And they said, Mr. Jordan, they got me on the treadmill. They did this. They said, it's nervous exhaustion. Mm. It's, and so I've had to, I don't, I haven't really slowed down, but I've had, I went on medication for a while and that was a nightmare for yeah. that. Not, you know, I don't want to get in that, uh, that, uh, argument because it just didn't work for me. Right. I've had that experience. Um, know, I found out that if you take something such as a Xanax, it's a miracle. Right. 24 hours later, there's a half-life and as a recovering drug addict and alcoholic, you get a tiny bit burst of anxiety as you come off of it. It's right. not coming on anything. Yeah. And it's how do you manage that? And do I ride this out? Yeah. And just be nervous for two or three hours, or do I take another one? Yeah. And it just got oh, just a roller coaster. Yeah, of course. But anyway, that's the problem with travel. Yeah. But I've gotten to manage it. I swim now. I have rules. Um, you know, I have the strangest rules on the road. I can't eat off this one certain side of the menu. I can only do appetizers, or I'd be huge. Right. So I eat. Oh, that's one big rule. I have this other thing where when I check in, I rearrange the furniture and I take all the little things that say hang up your towels, anything. It takes me sometimes hours to get everything in a drawer, even if I'm there one night. Right. But I'm on the road eight months out of the year. Why the, what do you need to move and why? I just need, I need it to not feel like Like a hotel. hotel. It needs to feel like you live there. All right. So I move, I have, I travel with pictures of, you know, this, my new one and all this, and, and I arrange and I move and I have to have a chair with a lamp somewhere near the window and, and the maids come in and they're like, what? what happened in here? It's very cozy though. They sit down and they have fun. Yeah. And sometimes they'll come in and go, wow. Yeah. And I said, this is much better. You need to show this to them because that's this is a, I feng shui the shit out of this place. <laughs> um, you tell great stories. So I had you pick some um, cards out of the observation deck. Um, and um, let's let's fire away at a few of these. Who's your most surprising fan? Yeah. I was in San Diego, California, uh, doing an event. And a tiny guy, adorable, older, my age or older, with these red glasses, came up and whispered in my ear, I understand you're a fan's mind. And I thought, oh, bless her heart, she's got it all wrong. Yeah. So, not your most surprising fan. <laughs> Someone that said, and he said, my name is blank, and he's a porn producer. Oh, wow. My favorite back then, which was called military porn, where okay. they would get these straight boys to do solo. Sure. And when he said his name, I said, God, I am. I'm your biggest fan. I have all your movies. <laughs> We're very good friends. Now. That's so funny. And of course, you thought, "No, you, you, I'm the famous I'm, one, I, honey." I'm. I thought she's got it. <laughs> All right. What else have we got? Strangest place you've ever been recognized. We took Olivia Newton-John's tour bus many years ago to Palm Springs right. to thank them for being such ardent fans of Sorted Lives. We arrived and. The security came on the bus, and, I mean, it was rabid. It was like the Beatles had arrived. Wow. Fans from Palm Springs surrounding the bus, hundreds. And they said, we're going to get Miss John in first. Right. So they got her through the crowd, and then they came back and said, well, we're going to get you. And I said, well, I don't need guards. Yeah. But it's the first time, I mean, I could have gotten hurt. It really scared yeah. me. We were trying to get through there. And then the guard, I said to the guard, we've been on that bus. I've got to pee. <laughs> he said, well, I'll watch the door. So I went in to pee, and somehow some fan got in there. And I was trying to pee, and he tapped me. It scared me. And he said, Mr. Jordan, I have a poster of Sorted Lives. And it would mean so much to me if you'd sign it. I said, in well, urine? I, I said, I've got something in my hand right now. But, but that was the first yeah. time 
I'd ever been recognized. Right. Like that. Wow. Okay. Have you ever had a good diva tantrum? I'm performing in Rehoboth Beach. Okay. At a place called the Blue Moon. Um, I was a little upset because the venue was so tiny. It only had 100 people. Right. And I talked to the producer, and he said, well, we didn't realize it was so tiny. But I said, well, find a, everywhere we go on the street, people said they couldn't get tickets. We should come back. He whispered to me right before I went on stage, you're going to come back for pride. I've got a 300-seat venue. It's the brick church. And blah, blah, blah. So without thinking, I just, when I went to take my bow, said, you know, I'm going to be back for pride. I tell your friends down the street. Yeah. Well, I sat down to sign my books, and there were 40-some-odd people in line. My producer came over and said, pack it up. we got to go. I said, what? He said, pack it up. We have to go. I said, but we have people in line. He goes, Leslie, pack it up. I said, what is going on? He said, the owners are livid. They said, pack your shit and get the fuck out of here. I said, about what? They said, you stood on stage and advertised a venue down the street. And they find that off. I said, let me talk to them. They go, Leslie, you don't want to talk to them. I go, yes, I do. So I stood up and everybody's going, where are you going? Where are you going? I picked my pink carpet. I said, I've been thrown out. <laughs> well, it started all this rabble rousing and I went into the kitchen. I'm, nerv- I'm having a nervous breakdown as we're talking about this. They were in the this. kitchen and they were drunk. Yeah. And I said, what is the problem? And they flew into me and they thought I would just cower. And I stood there and I said, wait a minute, queen. <laughs> I ain't the Lady Chablis or some drag queen you pulled up from Savannah. I'm an Emmy Award winning actor. <laughs> And you are not going to speak to me like that. They go, you get the fuck out of here. And I just took a table. There was a table there with cutlery on it. No one like that. Right on. And they said, call the police, call the police. I said, call the fucking police. So I went out in the bar and rabble roused the whole crowd. And they're all on your side, of course. Of course. We, the entire bar emptied into the streets as the police were coming. I ran back in the bar and locked the door where nobody could get in or out. <laughs> and I went back to the kitchen and I said, I had never been so fucking angry. And we, we didn't become physical, but they said the cops are on their way. And I said, I don't give a good goddamn. I'm a recovery alcoholic. I've been thrown out of better places than the <laughs> fucking blue moon. <laughs> so it, we, we had a tour bus then and I got on the bus and they had served me on the bus, beautiful China, and I threw all their plates out the window. Oh, <laughs> the my bus. God. Right, the police were behind us. We just took off, and I threw their plates out the window. And uh, in the bus were my people, and they, one of the straight guys got me and said, calm down. And I flew in him. I said, don't you dare condescend to me like that. I have a right to be, but it was huge. They still talk about it, Rehoboth. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Hurricane Leslie, it's Rehoboth. What's the most unprofessional behavior you've ever written? It's me and the blue man. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got one more then. What job were you most excited to learn you got? When my manager called and said, they want you for American Horror Story. And oh. Mr. Uh, Murphy has written. I thought, just how... I, I couldn't wait to get to New Orleans because I wanted to meet him. Yeah. And I, my, you know, I was, I had a speech plan. I was just going to say, Mr. Murphy, I'm so happy about this job, but Glee, <laughs> Glee, yeah, was out the there and after meant to be. <laughs> yeah. Glee. But he was doing um, the uh, Larry Kramer play. Yeah, the normal heart, of course. Here, and we never laid eyes on him. Oh, so you never met him. I never met him, but I was so excited about that job. But listen, he was so involved. Which season were you on? Um, it was called Coven. Coven, the witchy season. one. Okay. And then I got offered Freak Show. And right. And he, he wrote a wonderful part for me. But I took a job I had in London mm. only because my manager said, do you want to do reality? I said, absolutely not. And he said, but it's over in London. No one knows. And I said, well, what is it? He said, well, they're going to lock you in the Big Brother house. I said, absolutely not. He said, Leslie, it's well into the six fingers. Wow. Women have ever made my life. 
And you, how did it go? It was recently, right? And it never aired here. I lasted uh, 12 days. I got kicked out. I spit on Gary Busey. I've never lost my temper. <laughs> Worse than Rehoboth. <laughs> they used sleep deprivation and they used uh, hunger. They took away my food. If I couldn't complete my task, and they said, Mr. Jordan, you can't stay on task for anything longer than 10 minutes because I'm so <laughs> Mr. Jordan, you must stay on task. <laughs> and I said, oh, this is hard. So I got kicked out. Do you wish you hadn't done it or was it okay? I, it was the worst thing I've ever been through, but I got to take that money and, um, and I now am completely debt free. How many people could say? 30 years of acting yeah. where you've ran this credit card at that just, yeah. it was ridiculous. Yeah. And I'm debt free. That must feel good. And, and you got to get on, spit on Gary Busey. Um, now, speaking of ran, random anecdotes, I asked our mutual friend, Del Shores, what's something I should ask Leslie that oh, probably wouldn't be an obvious question. And he sent me this. If it has anything to do with Chinese food, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> no, I don't know what that's about. Well, that's... Ask him about Donna Day and when he crossed in front of her <laughs> light drunk at the Rose Room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Donna Day was this really mean drag queen. I've never come across the drag queen that mean. Okay. Her big number was she'd pull her teeth completely out. She was older. Black African-American queen. She'd take her teeth out and do this thing. Yeah. But I was drunk, so it had to have been, I'm sober 18 years, had to be 20 years. She's long dead. Yeah. And we were drunk, and I got up to do something, and she said, Oh, I love Miss Thine from TV, because I had something on the air. Right. And um, she said, Oh, she ain't looking good. <laughs> and I said, Fuck you. And I got thrown out of the Rose Room in Dallas for my drunken behavior. Right. But you but you know what? You were on TV, and she knew that. And that's, yeah. that's something right there. Okay, the other question was, ask him to tell you about his meeting with Ann Wedgworth and Jessica Lang's joy with the story. When I was doing American Horror Story, um, Jessica Lange's, people say, what's she like? She's a movie star. Right. You know, she's been breathing that rarefied air for so long. Right. She's very pleasant. She's very professional. She's right there on set. Yeah. Doesn't run to her trailer. But you don't get a lot. You know, yeah. it's not like you're going to get stories about Recipes. And, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or my, my baby with Mikhail Baryshnikov. Yeah. Who's now, she has grandkids with yeah. Mikhail Baryshnikov. But anyway, one time we were sitting there and I said, you know, I just have to tell you, and you've probably heard this a million times, but when I fell in love with you was, uh, I'm a huge Patsy Cline fan. Right, of course. And I said, I'll tell you, Ann Wedgworth, she said, what a character. Like her mother. And years later, I had wanted to meet Ann Wedgworth, and our trailers were next to each other. Ann Wedgworth was doing Evening Shade, right. a Linda Bloodworth-Thomason show. I was doing Hearts of Fire, and our trailers were right next to each other. And Ann would lock herself in her trailer. We couldn't figure out how she did it. But you'd hear this banging and she'd cry. Oh, in other words, she didn't do it on purpose. No, she'd lock herself in, couldn't get out. So the ADs would come looking for her and she'd be locked in. So they gave her a key around her. She's real ditzy. They gave her a key around her neck. Well, she'd come out and she'd be trying. She couldn't figure out how to do the key. I mean, it was just ridiculous. So I thought, I'm going to save the day. I'm going to go up there. And help her. So I came out of my trailer. I said, Miss Wedgworth, she's huh? She's this nervous wreck. She's a nervous Nelly. She just yeah. she said, huh? And I said, Oh, I'm I didn't mean to startle you. My name is Leslie Jordan. And you know, she said, uh-huh. and I said, I just have to tell you, I'm probably your biggest fan. Uh, I can quote sweet dreams. She said, Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> And her trailer locked the door. And I thought, I would just stand there. I thought, I wish I Miss Wentworth. I don't mean I'm going to stand here quote. <laughs> I was going to try to get you out of your trailer. But then we brought her back out. Linda had a pilot for HBO that she wrote for me, Lily Tomlin, and Mary Kay Place. Oh, my God. I want to see that pilot. I mean, everybody wanted to see it, and HBO hated it. Just one of those fiascos, but we we had a wonderful part for Anne and brought her out from New York. But she she's too nervous. Yeah, 
She couldn't remember her line. It was yeah. her way to send her back. Wow. Now, a lot of people talk about who's a nightmare that you worked with or whatever. Who was cool? Who was just the coolest? Um, that, that you admire as a talent and, like... They're, Lily, Tom. Yeah. I wrote her a love letter. I've never written a love letter in my life. She's kind of... Lily's not masculine in any way. Yeah. She's very assertive. You know, she's that smart lesbian. Yeah. You know, she's a smart girl. Yeah. And I just was... I was just smitten with her. And she's a wanker, too. Like, she'll be talking to this one and she'll go like that. And, oh, I've just... Like, I, they, she let you in on something. Yes. And I wrote her a letter. The first day I worked with her on that HBO pilot, she walked up to me and said, how has this never happened? Meaning working together. Working together. And I said, oh, but it's Tomlin. I, I, you know, so I wrote, I said, dear Lily... In my 50, I think I was 53 at the time, in my 53 years on this planet, in every room of recovery known to man, I have never met one person that I thought to myself, this is who I want to mentor me. This is the way I want to live my life. This is the person I want to be. Because forget that she's a comedic genius. She's just a brilliant human being. You know, in the way she interacts with people, and the way she manages her. She, I, Mary Kay Place summed it up beautifully. Mary Kay said to me one day, "Well, she's got the three things that you need." I said, "What? What do you need?" She said, "Well, for a good human being, you need curiosity, you need generosity, and you need kindness. Is the three things, and she's got them in spades. She's curious. Listen." When she found out I had twin sisters that are identical and never lived apart, they're, I'm 58, they're 57 now. They, they were part of that drama. Well, I couldn't discuss it anyway. <laughs> that shall not be mentioned. There's a lot of drama. Yeah. But they, Lily would call them the multiples, and she'd say, do you have pictures? And I'd say, okay, I've got albums, and I brought these pictures to show her. She'd say, tell me about this. What is this? Oh, my God. And just, you're just, it's, and Del Shores noticed it too. Del Shores walked on the stage to see me at that HBO pilot to meet her. 45 minutes. They never took their eyes off each other. She'd say, hold that thought, honey. I've got to go work. Hold that thought. And she'd go work and she's just back like this. She's so curious. She wants to know. Everything. Yeah. That's great. Curious about it's a life. Great, and it's such a rare quality in a star because it, it tends to become very self-obsessed. in any way. No. She's just a, a, she's just a, what, my God. She's interested. She's kidding me. Yeah. Then the next day, she said, come here, man. You were telling me yesterday. Now, blah, blah, pick it right up. That's amazing. As if she had chewed on it all night long. Yeah, that's awesome. I got that from Sissy Spacek one time. She, I met her at a party, and everybody was talking about something, and she tapped me on the shoulder. She said, what are dreadlocks? <laughs> She said, honey, I'm a housewife from Charlottesville, Virginia. I don't know anything. I said, what's that hair? All right. You broke it down for her. And I tried to explain to her. She said, I don't know. Yeah. I said, Rastafarians. Yeah. She said, I don't know. Well, 20 minutes, <laughs> 20 minutes later, the party's moved on. And she said, is it like Whoopi? <laughs> Meaning Whoopi Goldberg. And I thought, what? What? That hair that you were talking about, is it like Whoopi? She said, I did a movie with Whoopi. And I said, well, I think Whoopies are more braids. Right. I said, true. I mean, 20 minutes. <laughs> On dreadlocks. She said to me, how did, how did you actually get the hair to do that? And I said, we've moved on. <laughs> she, said, she said, oh, I'm sorry. But just focus. Just, she was going to crack the case of the dreadlocks uh -huh. if it killed her. Um, I interviewed you once before on a radio show. I don't know if you remember this. It was called Radio with a Twist. There were three interviewers. And one of the things I remember about it is that you wanted to be on Dancing with the Stars. And what's the story? That Last story, because I've got a yeah. lunch at one. Okay. Last story. Okay. I got this idea that maybe since Kathy Griffin and I started at the exact same time, Margaret Chubb and I started, and they've gone on and done this reality, and they've got millions. Right. I, I thought, well, what could I do where I wouldn't lose any respect for me as an actor? Well, my manager was not vehemently against it, but he made a call. 
And the casting person said, I don't know him. He said, well, he's won an Emmy. Yeah. She said, I can't place him. And he, so they said, have him come to the show, and we'll, I'll meet him, and I'll introduce him around. We'll see. Well, I went over there. It's next door. It's right out this door. Right. Three, three o'clock in the afternoon. It was blazing hot. I had my friend from New York, big loud mouth, Leslie. Her name's Leslie, too. She worked the rest of the nights. And I said, I'm on the VIP list. They said, you and 300 others. So we had to get in this line. Oh, my God, hours. And we got up there, and the little guy that was running things said, oh, my God, I love you. God, I love you. I love you on everything you've done. And I said, am I in a good seat? And he goes, not really. Let me see what I can do. Well, he laughed. Well, about this time, the security came and said, move it, move it. And they moved us in. I was given the seat. I was just up in the audience. Right. So my friend Leslie, such a loudmouth, they start introducing the, the contestants. Who the fuck are these people? <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. She said, I don't know any of these people. Who the fuck is she? So then this guy came. It was just a fiasco. He had a box with Afro wigs yeah. and disco chains. And he said to my section of the audience, we're going to have the, the contestants do a disco number. We're not going to come through here. We thought it'd be fun to have, you know, you guys be atmosphere. So I'm sitting there with this enormous Afro pickup and these chains. So they give, they give you those. They gave us all that. So yeah. we would, and then when they came through, we were supposed to do disco. Oh my gosh. I sat there and simmered for a while. Yeah. Cause when you wanted to be on Dancing with the Stars, this wasn't exactly how you imagined I it. I called the guy over and I said, you're, you're very young probably don't know this, but I want to fucking hear me, and I'll be goddamned if I'm going to be an extra dance when it starts transferring, <laughs> and my friend must be dead. Let's get the fuck out of here. I don't know these people. So we left, and I think that dashed my dreams that we never heard. <laughs> I think they should have you on just so you could tell that story during one of the, the, the pieces. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. One last question. Um, Careers in Hollywood have their ups and downs. Uh-huh. What got you through the downs? The, the, the secret to my longevity is, in 1982, from a very repressed Southern Baptist upbringing, I took a bus from Hales, Tennessee, and I discovered West Hollywood. Queers were hanging from the trees. Now, <laughs> we, we were in crises. We were in crises. Right. And... I jumped in, and we learned back then that gay people have to take care of their own. No, we couldn't get ragged. You know, I thought, my God, look at all this on Ebola. There were 50,000 of us dead before we could get anybody to pay attention. But I discovered West Hollywood, and I think people come to Hollywood, and like you said, there's ups, there's downs, and many of them leave when there's a down. Or they'll say, okay, I'm going to give myself five years. Or they'll say, uh, people get married, they have kids, blah, blah, blah. I was home. It didn't matter. I it didn't no, matter how you were doing. You were meant to be here. I had nowhere else to go. Yeah. So it was just, I had this huge life that involved West Hollywood, and it was a life I'd always dreamed of. So the career was just something that, you know, keep the ship afloat, and I think that's it. It's that perseverance that slowly, 33 years later, I had this career. Yeah. How did it happen? I don't know. Just didn't go anywhere. You couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't get rid of me. Well, I'm so happy that we couldn't get rid of you. I'm so happy that you agreed to do this interview. Go see Leslie Jordan in Fruit Fly at the Gay and Lesbian Center at the Renberg Theater from December 4th to December 21st. Thank you so much, You're Leslie. Welcome. This has been a real pleasure. We're going to wrap this up, snap a few fun photos, and then we'll. Uh, you've got your fancy lunch to go to. So okay. thank you. Thank this has you. been delightful. All right, so that was my 2014 interview with Leslie Jordan. So many great stories in there. So many interesting stories, you know, how he was so sexually precocious when he was younger and the stuff about Lily Tomlin moved me and, like, how he was trying to be a good person. You know what else? He was trying to be a good celebrity, if that makes sense. Like, that really struck me. Um, You know, there were so many online tributes after his passing, and Del Shores, who I've had on the podcast a number of times and who I'm a, a friend of and a big fan of, and he was very close to Leslie, and um, he wrote about how Leslie, their friendship, the dynamic of their friendship didn't change 
when Leslie became successful. And I think that is so rare. The other thing that struck me is I think I saw somewhere where Leslie talked about Dolly Parton, and I think he got to record a song with her and also always admired her. But Dolly has that thing where if you encounter her, you are better for it. She lifts you up. And I think Leslie has that same thing, and I think he chose it. I think he wants wanted to be that kind of person. Like, if you were out in West Hollywood and you ran into him, your day is better. You have a story for later. Like, he consciously chose to be somebody that lit up the world, and he did. And he will be very, very missed, and I'm so glad I got the opportunity to spend that time with him that you just listened to. So... Thank you for listening. I want to give a shout out to AJ Sousa for mixing the episodes. JB Bursey provides additional technical support. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for placement music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.